0: Hello to thee, my OCD family. (laughs) Today is my daughter's birthday, and she is living it up. And I am too, because not only do I get to celebrate her, but I get to share another great episode with you, fam. So get comfy, because today we are hearing from Katie Merritt, a lived experience warrior who also happens to be an OCD specialist and a US-based trainer for inference-based CBT. I'm Nicole Morris, licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health correspondent, and let me be the first to say, welcome to the family. The OCD family, that is. I am here to create a community of support for family members, spouses, partners, parents, adult children, as there may be adult words and chosen family of OCD sufferers and their community. I've had over 22 years of experience in the mental health field, but please note that this information does not qualify or substitute as a diagnostic evaluation, therapy, or treatment, and it is presented on an as-is basis. Please follow up with a qualified mental health provider in your area regarding concerns for yourself or loved ones. Thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get started. All righty. Fam, so today we are in for a treat. And I have to say, in my household, the day started off in the most adorable of ways. So my daughter, the baby of our family, it's her birthday, and she is a whole six years old. So that is a whole hand, y'all, plus one. Very exciting. And I have to be honest, I ran to the store after leaving the office last night to pick up some streamers and an obnoxiously large cupcake balloon, because, I mean, who doesn't love an obnoxiously large balloon, and I bought streamers. My daughter's favorite color is actually an array of colors right now. Why pick just one? I mean, I love that girl and the way she thinks, but she is low-key thrilled about any combination of pink, purple, and cyan or aqua. Now, personally, just between you and me, I can't really tell the difference between the last two, but it is a very important distinction for a particular (laughs) six-year-old. So I picked up some streamers and some other birthday necessities, and it was pretty late. I see clients until 10 p.m. in the evening, because this is what has worked for my handsome husband and I's divide-and-conquer schedule. And so I was tired. And I still had some charting to do, but I went grocery shopping, and I picked up some birthday supplies, and I asked my husband when I got home if he could hang these streamers so at the very least, Emma could wake up this morning and feel the magic of streamers. And yes, fam, I know that folks can have a great birthday without streamers, but Emma, she loves them, and I knew, we knew really, that this simple act would elevate her birthday morning. So I asked him to hang the streamers, and I won't bore y'all with the details, but he had had a long work day and was still working on helping create my, my oldest Halloween costume, and I had had a long work day, and we melted into sensitive puddles over who should hang streamers. And I have to say it wasn't, it, it wasn't exactly one of our more productive conversations. But we left it on a note, or at least so I thought. That we would just hang the streamers tomorrow, meaning today, this morning. And streamers alone, a birthday does not make. Emma's adaptable. She'll live if there are no streamers. She'll still probably be as thrilled as can be with this monstrosity of a helium-filled carb. So we are good. We're good. That's where I thought we were, period. So I gathered the birthday supplies I had just purchased from the store, and I put them away so she didn't rifle through them this morning, and I went to bed. Fast forward to this morning. The kids wake up. They're so excited. Mom, Dad, it's Emma's birthday. You've got to come downstairs. And to my surprise, as well as Emma's, it was a birthday miracle, y'all. There were white streamers adorning the area around our dining nook table. Only for a few of them. The tape got a little dislodged, and it kind of came off. And a few of them had floated down and around a bouquet of flowers for the birthday girl and a pumpkin because, you know, tis the season. And I was shocked, but more than shocked, I was impressed because these weren't your ordinary streamers. They were two-ply, if you know what I mean. And with the natural loveliness of how they settled as they fell, it definitely looked like someone came and teepeed the table. Now, Patrick remarked that he couldn't find the streamer, so he improvised. And Emma, she just squealed with delight, pressing her little hands together and into her cheek as she exclaimed, I'm so happy I could This was reality. And it was beyond perfection, family. If you had asked me last night, hey, what if we scrap this whole streamer's talk and maybe even hang some toilet paper from the ceiling, call it a day? I would not have been okay because a way my OCD can show up, especially around the people I love most and inconveniently, that often means during birthdays and holidays. I'm telling you, I'm already tired from Christmas fam and we haven't even started working on it yet. But my OCD can create such a story that says, well, yes, birthdays are bigger than streamers. That story also says streamers are so important and so necessary because of how much it will mean to Emma. So much so that I need to go grocery shopping and get streamers after a full day of work at home, seeing clients throughout the evening at my office, because if I don't, a girl won't have that magic moment. What if I could neglect and fail to do the things that are going to help Emma feel seen Feel valued, Emma will be impacted, and I will be responsible for that. So, that story, the implications of that story, it trumped the reality of hey, she doesn't know or expect streamers to be there or not. She's going to be thrilled until the untimely loss, depending on who you ask, of the cupcake Cupcake balloon. balloon. We're good. You're good. It's fine. But I couldn't risk good, I couldn't even risk great. It needed to be better than great, or else. So as I cued into this, and I stood on that bridge between the reality of the cupcake balloon that is going to be all the things, and it was, she she does love that balloon, as well as a family that adores her, and that's what's here, And I looked on the other side of the bridge to see the importance of dying on this hill for team streamers. I decided to retreat back to the present. And as I did, I was like, dang, it's late, y'all. I'm done. And I am going to bed. So I surrendered to reality. I updated my husband. And I did just that. I hit the sheets. For me, my yellow brick road was leading me through the challenges and necessity of getting to Oz. And I use this analogy because the allegory of Oz surfaced quite naturally in my conversation with Katie today. And the reference has stuck with me because I think it's such a great and multifaceted example of how OCD, cast as none other than the wizard himself, holds so much promise, answer, relief, help if you can just get to Oz. But in the end, what is Oz? What is the wizard? It was a story, and the wizard was a fraud. And all the trials and challenges that we can experience along the way, along that yellow brick road, which we justified was worth it, wasn't. And so I really look forward to introducing you to Katie because her lived experience is so relatable, so authentic, and real. So I want you to hear more, but first, fam. I'll give you the down low on our sister from another mister. Now, Katie is a licensed clinical social worker in Connecticut and Florida. That sounds like a pretty good combo, if you ask me. (laughs) But she's licensed, and she runs a private practice specializing in multifaceted OCD treatment. Katie is the co-founder of the OCD Training School with Bronwyn Schroer and Gina Abadante. And Gina, girl, I, I hope I'm saying your name correctly. If I'm not, my apologies. And fam, if you're wondering, if you're like, wait, Katie Merritt? Like the Katie Merritt of katiemerritt.com? Why, yes. Yes, it is. Facts. But in all seriousness, this is a great site where you can learn more about Katie and her practice. And you know, I'm going to put this all over on OCDFamilyPodcast.com so you can check it out, fam, because I know, I've got you. So head on over there, look for this episode's blog, and you can get linked to katymarit.com to learn more about Katie. But without further ado, let's get started. Well, welcome back to the OCD Family Podcast. And I am so excited Fan, because I am getting to welcome a new friend to me, a colleague. Is it okay if I call us friends, Katie? Would you? i would be delighted to be your friend. Okay, we're naming it. I'm going to send you my BFF half of the necklace next week, you know. Uh, yes, but today I'm welcoming Katie Merritt, and Katie is a therapist, OCD specialist, a trainer for inference-based CBT. And she's just an all-around lovely person. Funny to boot. And so welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi. uh, Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So, Katie, today we're going to be talking, this is a a really cool opportunity because Katie is one of the clinicians that I was able to learn and gain really a deeper understanding about inference-based CBT from. You were running a training and work as a part of OCD training school and you and Bronwyn did a two-day training that was fabulous that I was just honored to be a part of. And so we're going to be talking about ICBT today, but we're going to be talking about a whole host of things. And you, like I, Katie, we both have lived experience of OCD. And so just starting out and just getting a feel for your story here, which came first? Understanding you had lived experience or being an OCD practitioner?
1: Oh, understanding that I had lived experience came first. Okay.
0: And how old were you, if I may ask, when you started? I, I know hindsight's twenty twenty. We can go, oh, it might have started before. But when was OCD really on the radar for you?
1: Not until I was 31. And that's not that I didn't have OCD before, that I've had OCD since I was pretty little. But I didn't understand what it was until I was already in my 30s. OK.
0: And I, I know people go through their graduate studies at different points and different ages. But had you already been practicing in mental health at large? Or was this before you really got your
1: training? So I was postgrad and I was a licensed master social worker. And I was working in substance use, co-occurring mm-hmm. disorders. In community mental health, I was working for the box clinic and I knew that something was very wrong with my brain. I just there was something that was just so there was something happening and I didn't know what it was, but I had already been through my bachelor's and my master's and put two years in of clinical work in at this substance use outpatient before I realized that I had OCD.
0: Wow. Would you have named it something else like anxiety before? Or did you feel like I I really didn't know what it was? I just recognized that it was difficult or distressing.
1: I thought that it was a combination between trauma and generalized anxiety.
0: Yeah. And you know what? It's interesting because we've talked and and so again, Katie works with Bronwyn. Bronwyn was on last season. We were talking about OCD and trauma. And some of the characteristics of coping with trauma, PTSD, includes these different symptoms that can present very similarly, if not identically, to OCD. What's different is the function of how those present, right? But they can look exactly the same. And so you could very easily be coping with trauma and go, well, that's, of course, of course, that makes sense. It reads, it's trauma. But OCD is very tricky and can look a lot like anxiety, can look like depression, can look like a number of things. Also, within the substance use realm, and I was talking with Dr. Patrick McGrath about this earlier this season, we see a lot of overlap, too, in terms of how family... And how just really different rituals and functioning start to really be impacted both in OCD and substance use. So if you're working in a line of work where you are helping facilitate the treatment, even if it wasn't something like ERP and you're doing a different substance use or substance abuse program, there's probably a lot of similarities in terms of how the symptoms are presenting. So it would make sense that based on all the environments and the experiences, OCD masked itself within that environment. So what led to then that moment, if you're okay with sharing, when you're 31, where you're like, well shit, this is this is OCD.
1: Okay, I remember that day very, very vividly because it was, I mean, top 10, one of the worst days of my life. And this is happening in, by the way, in 2020. So I don't know if y'all remember, but it was a pretty stressful year for a lot of us. Uh, What What was going on? What was going on? I mean, there was like this weird thing. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I stayed home a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I got to see my dog all the time. It was great. So let me let me give you some context. Yeah. I'm married. I got married in 2019. My husband and I inherited a house Mm -hmm. and a pandemic hit in March. And we move into this new house in April. 2020, because that's when we were slated to move in anyway. And we said, come hell or high water, we're we're moving, right? This is our dream house. We're moving. Yeah. And so we have a lot of changes and we have a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. And what my OCD loves the most is what if you're going to be this clueless person that makes a huge mistake and doesn't have a critical piece of information and ruins your life or ruins somebody else's life, right? It's this like my feared possible self from an ICBT lens it's like, I'm afraid I'm going to be a clueless person. Mm -hmm. And so we have the perfect context for me to possibly be a clueless person. I'm Mm -hmm. freshly married Mm -hmm. and we just signed all of the paperwork to legally own this house in my name and in my husband's name. And one of the themes that I had been struggling with for a very long time is, well, well, a couple. What if I lose my husband? Right. What if he dies? What if he's sick? What if Mm -hmm. he gets a head injury and and his personality changes and like he's going to, I don't know, become another person and we have to get a divorce or whatever, right? It's always that loss of like something terrible is going to happen and I'm going to lose him and I'm not going to be able to handle it. Mm -hmm. And what if my sexuality isn't what I think it is, Mm -hmm. which ties into that cluelessness, right? Like, wouldn't I want to know? I'm married now. Yeah. Like the government's involved. You're like, (laughs) it's it's legal. It's just getting real. They're going to be like, yeah, I'm married. (laughs) Yeah, it's legal. Like, And I bet him half my stuff that we're going to be together forever. Mm -hmm. And this is like this perfect stirring of of all of my little little OCD themes that are popping up. And so I am massively struggling with what if my sexuality isn't what I think it is Mm -hmm. and something different. And then my husband and I have to get a divorce Mm. because we can't stay together. Right. And oh, by the way, isn't that something that you need to be 100 percent sure of before you get married? So Mm -hmm. I had actually been struggling with this prior to the wedding. And, you know, it had kind of quieted down a little bit. And then we move into this house together. Mm-hmm. And oh, my God, both of our games are on it. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, I grew up here and it's my dream house. And as we get a divorce, I'm going to lose it. Right. So, of course, we have high stakes that now I need to figure this out. And so we get into a spat about God knows what, because we're both under tremendous stress mm-hmm. because it's the pandemic is, you know, looming this big contextual looming a horrible thing that's happening.
0: And you're stuck in the and, house together. <laughs> you're you,
1: you're gonna house escaping. <laughs> and we kind of escape each other. And we're in our little bubble, right? We're like, we're like stuck together. And I'm like, all right, I need to take some space. I'm going to just go lay on the couch. And what that really meant was I'm going to go lay on the couch and I'm going to ruminate. Right. right. Yeah, of course. Now I'm going to go climb into my, I'm going to go run across the bridge. I'm going to climb into my OCD bubble and I'm going to ruminate about this relationship and all the things he does wrong. And no, we get into fights and blah, 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 blah. And now the wheels are turning and I start thinking, well, what if this relationship ends? And and here comes this other doubt of like, what if what if my sexuality isn't what I think it is? Right. Mm -hmm. And and I'm starting to spiral because I'm already like at a 10 and I'm grabbing all of this. And you need to be 100 percent sure before you even get married. And what do you think you're doing now that you have a house and you're married? And And you need to know this stuff. And, oh, remember that one time you held hands with one of your female friends when you were in grade school. Oh, and and this thing over here. Oh, and this thing over here. Oh, and by the way, why would you still be doubting this 10 years later if you actually were the sexuality that you thought you were? Therefore, you must not be
0: right. right? The imposter syndrome is kicking in big time because you're
1: like, (laughs) I'm already committed to all these things. Yeah. Yeah. And the OCD is grabbing all of this extraneous information that doesn't really make sense in the moment. Right. It's, it's like, oh, this thing happened to you. And oh, you heard this thing. And one time somebody said that you you were dressing like a lesbian. And oh, here's a rule that you need to be 100 percent sure of your sexuality before you commit to somebody. And I'm laying on the couch and I just start crying because mm-hmm. I'm like, if I were not a lesbian, I would not be having these doubts. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm taking the presence of the obsession to mean that this is true. Mm -hmm. I'm going, this must be true about me. Otherwise, I wouldn't still be thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And I have a full panic attack. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like I'm sweating. Right. I'm feeling almost like I'm leaving my body. Mm -hmm. I'm physically ill for two days. I'm throwing up. I have massive GI distress. I can't go to work. I do not feel well. My husband, who's also working at home, is like, there might be something wrong with my wife. (laughs) Right. Because because I'm like, not I'm not here. I'm not here. Right. And so he sits me down and he's like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And I say, honey, I think that I'm gay. And I sob Mm -hmm. and I sob and I cry and I can barely get the sentence out Mm -hmm. when he reaches over and he's like, that's okay." That's okay. You're my best friend. I'll come to your gay wedding. I don't care. I love you. And then I'm like, oh, thank God that, you know, that feared consequence didn't come true. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, wait, that doesn't feel right either. Mm -hmm. What the hell? Right. Because you cannot resolve this doubt Mm -hmm. because I have all the information in front of me that I need in order to resolve this doubt that, you know, my sexuality is what I think it is. And then I go beyond that. I'm like, that can't be. I throw it in the garbage. And now I start making up the story about maybe am, and and all these other consequences. And so I'm like, that's not right. So I head to my computer and I type in chronically doubting sexuality. And what pops up? But an IOCDF article that's like, hey, are you chronically doubting your sexuality? You might have OCD. And I read the article, Nicole. Mm-hmm. It was like a transcendent experience. It was amazing. It was like, whoa. Wow. That's it. Yeah. This is the thing that I have been struggling with since I was a kid. And now it has a name. Wow. It was like like a, a factory farm cow going outside for the first time, like stepping into another universe that I didn't even know existed.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, because the, the process, the torturous process that you were experiencing, yeah. and I hear this from clients all the time, like I believe, even if they're like, OCD, really? You think so? And as we do some psychoed, they're like, I 100%, not that we're aiming for perfect here, but 100% (laughs) believe you because I feel like that came right out of my head. And it is so validating because it's not the process of were you at the right or the wrong answer. It was, it's the process that's the problem, right? It's the OCD that's the problem. And so you were able to find this article through the International OCD Foundation. Your husband, by the way, amazing response. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Gold star. Gold star. All the gold stars. But, you know, it is, it's a difficult thing to wrestle with. And one of the hardest things to do with OCD is to speak it out loud because people are so afraid. What if it could be true? And so what was your next step then? After going, okay, so OCD, this is totally what I'm dealing with. What was the next thing to occur? Were you already in your own therapy or were you seeking a therapist or what happened next?
1: At that point, I was with someone who was, you know, we were under the impression that this was just generalized anxiety. And maybe maybe there there probably was. Right. We're, We're dealing with a lot of acronyms over here. And so there probably was some GA day. And I was with this therapist and I called her that day and I, and I was like, hey, I need an emergency session. <laughs> and so we get on the phone and 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 I'm like, I think I realize that I am a lesbian and it feels horrible. And I'm sick over it. And she's like, that don't know how that's supposed to feel. And I was like, like really? Uh oh. Maybe I'm right. And this was before I did my research and like was looking at for, you know, I found the IOCD article. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, maybe I got it wrong. Oh God. That's not what it's supposed to feel like because this feels really really bad because it's egostonic, right? It doesn't feel good because it isn't actually true about me. And so I get off the phone with her more confused. And I think that's when I I looked up this article. She was very gentle with me. She was very sweet. But I you know, I had to say goodbye to her because I, I what I was from what I was reading through my research about OCD is that I needed something that was more than talk therapy, breathing, muscle relaxation. I needed something else. I needed something that was specifically for OCD. And so I had to say goodbye to her, which was a shame because she was the sweetest lady. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love
0: that even if she wasn't aware of OCD, I love that she did point out the difference in the value system, right? Like if you identify as a lesbian, as a a cisgender person, and I know we weren't necessarily talking about gender, but any of the things, right? Like it's Then it's going to be congruent. It's not like distressing you. There might be distress about the way people are treated and the intersections of living, that truth. But it's not like that truth in and of itself is what you're unhappy with, that you're dissatisfied with. And so she was able to point out that it should be egocentronic if you do identify as a lesbian, you'll be like, yep, that's me. Not, oh my gosh, whatever it could be, Right. So I love that she was able to point that out. And like you said, ego dystonic. So for any of our new family listening, ego dystonic is really distant from the way we view ourselves. It's not a perfect analogy, but I tend to use distant, kind of far away from what we think of ourselves or consider ourselves to be. And so it presents a big amount of distress because you're like,
1: wait a minute, that's not what
0: I think. And so I, I love that she was able to point that out. Okay, so you were doing your research Because you already had found the flagship IOCDF and you were like, okay, what do I need to do for treatment? Okay. So what happened after that?
1: I said, I need to find somebody who specializes in OCD, And I did a, you know, it was kind of tough to find somebody who was available when I'm available, accepted insurance. I was working for a mental health nonprofit and I wasn't making a ton of money and our insurance wasn't very good. So I, you know, I could I know. Right. So it was it was a challenge to find somebody who's knowledgeable about the disorder, specializes in the disorder and has availability. So was like this was like July 2020, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think I couldn't find someone until probably like late, late summer, early fall. Mm. But I finally found somebody who ticked all the boxes. Mm -hmm.
0: But, you know, actually, that is a pretty fast turnaround because, as I'm sure you experienced even in your vocation, the wait list became really, really long. And mm-hmm. I I loved that more people were tuned into I'm struggling with my mental health and then were able to identify that. But at the same yes. point, there were really intense wait lists. And so people could sit on a wait list for many, many months. Mm-hmm. And and so you were able to find it still took a few months, but you were able to find somebody by late summer and early fall. And was that person practicing exposure and response prevention or? Yes. Okay. So exposure and response prevention, the acronym we use is ERP for anybody joining us that is like, what? And so describe to us what that was like engaging in ERP. What was that like for you?
1: So the therapist that I saw, who I still see, right, I just kind of like, you know, we, we get in our, our once monthly like 45 minutes and I'm like, I'm doing great. Here's everything that I'm doing. But her approach is very much like we're going to do this based on your values, right? We're going to do this based on getting you back in your life. So we did a lot of experiential stuff, right? She, she walked me through. We did our hierarchy. We rated like, OK, what do you imagine your distress is going to be if you had to sit with this thing and not do your compulsions, right? And my compulsions were almost completely mental. Mm-hmm. Mental compulsions, right? Rumination, mental checking, all that good stuff. And she's like, okay, so we're going to imagine you're going to rate in your distress from scale of one to a hundred, how bad it's going to be if you have to sit through this experience and not ruminate about it, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not try to avoid it, not try to check it, not try to do anything. And we did a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I was very eager to just, because I've been suffering for such a long time, Right, I was so eager to be done. With OCD. Really? I was like, tell me what to do. Just yeah. tell me what to do and I'll do it. Right. Yeah. Tell, whatever I have to touch, whatever I have to think about, whatever I have to write, I don't care. Just tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. And that's what we did. Yeah.
0: And it worked. It for, helped a lot. For response prevention, then, in terms of especially when it is primarily mental, can we speak to that piece too, where you're doing like non engagement responses to keep yourself from ruminating or? What did that look like? Because I, I hear the feedback often, and this is where a lot of people struggle. If I'm doing therapy around a contamination theme and I need to be able to tolerate and live my life, even if I touch the doorknob, without doing the compulsion of, of washing my hands excessively afterwards, that feels, and that's hard, so I don't want to downplay that at all for anybody struggling with that, because you may be like, this thing cripples our household. But I will often hear from clients, it's so much easier to just touch the damn handle than if I could shut my brain off, I would. How do I not check? How do I not ruminate? And so in terms of engaging in the ERP and the response prevention there, what did you find helpful
1: about the response prevention around mental compulsions? So I had to learn, first of all, what rumination was, what it felt like how I do when I was doing it and also recognize that there are lots of times during my day where I'm not ruminating mm-hmm. and compare those two things. What is it like to ruminate versus what is it like to not ruminate? So we did a lot of work with Dr. Michael Greenberg's rumination focused ERP, right? Mm-hmm. Can you ruminate on purpose? Can you kind of drop it? Right. So his analogy of like, if you're doing math on the board, can you stop doing math? And learning to do that as my new response.
0: Mm-hmm
1: was really challenging, I felt, because it was such a natural rehearsed thing that I did all the time. And it, by the way, it's really accessible because it's right here in your brain. It's not like, yeah, yeah it's right here. And if there's no steps between me and my brain. It, it's it, like if there's steps between me and like the sink where I can stop and go, all right, what are my values? Do I really want to do this? Can I wait? Can I push this back? Can I ruin this? Can I Can I do whatever? Not to say that that's easier. It's just different mm-hmm. because this is accessible. It's, it's me. It's in my brain and I've always done it. Mm-hmm. Now what do I do? Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to teach somebody to not do that. <laughs> it's very, very difficult. And and you're hearing <laughs> this
0: from a pro, from an OCD specialist, a trainer. Mm-hmm.
1: It is really
0: difficult. So that is a challenge And you were also making the point, like, you wanted this gone yesterday. You've dealt with it for decades at this point now. And you're like, I am over this shit, right? And so you started with ERP. And that took you to a certain point where you felt at Mm -hmm. least more functional. But did you find there to be limitations that you were still stuck on within that experience?
1: So here's the thing, Nicole. I am the first person to tell you that I am terminally curious and I like to know (laughs) how this dang thing worked and everything that I was reading from an appraisal model, right, is like, oh, everybody has intrusive thoughts and it's the appraisal of the intrusive thought that makes this a problem. And that's why people with OCD kind of have OCD is because they like can't tolerate having these thoughts that everybody else has. And they feel the need that they are. They're like, oh, they label it like this is bad and we need to get rid of it. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. I don't know that everybody has these wackadoo thoughts that are coming into their head like lightning and catching them off guard and it's gory and it's horrible and it's distressing. I don't know that everybody has that. Mm -hmm. And I even asked my friends, like, do you have thoughts like this? And they're like, no. No, we're like, I mean, sometimes I get a thought of like, you know, if I'm near a cliff, like, oh, I could throw my phone off the cliff or, oh, I could drive off this bridge right now. And it's like, oh, sure, that's really common. But it's not a problem for them. And so I never really like, that never really felt like an adequate explanation for Mm -hmm. why I had intrusions and why I had this disorder. It just didn't feel like really complete to me. And so ERP kind of got me most of the way, Mm -hmm. right? I'm functioning. I'm going to work. I'm showing up. My distress is a lot less. I'm not quite as triggered by things that I used to be, but I'm still having doubts. They're still creeping up. They're still popping up, right? New things are coming up. And I'm still at, and and at this point in my treatment, you know, we've been doing it for a couple of months. I've stepped down to like every other week. And now I'm starting to see clients in my private practice. I've decided, oh, I want to specialize in OCD. And I'm like, man, I feel like a fraud because I'm only this much better and I'm functioning and I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm able to start a private practice. I'm able to do the things that I want to do, but I'm still kind of like, I still have OCD. Yeah. Right. Like, what the hell? So I think one of the factors is I didn't really buy the explanation that I was given,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and maybe treatment for me didn't generalize to everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was still getting caught. Right. New stuff was still coming up. So I was still I was like sixty percent better. And at that point, I was like, you know what? I think this is okay. Like, if this is as good as it gets, it's way better than what I was. Maybe I'll try a med. Maybe I'll try some mindfulness. Maybe I'll try something else. Mm-hmm. But is it's like, that you? like, you know, it's as good as it gets. I'm functioning. Mm-hmm. And that's all right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 60% better is 100% better than zero, right? Like a, yes, It's a lot better than but, zero. But you were like, I'm still having and I'm still experiencing this. Which, which to note, our brain is still going to be our brain. So if we have OCD, we have OCD. However, you were able to have insight and awareness as you were making this forward movement like i feel like there could or should be more i'm impressed by that because i feel like even in reflecting on my own journey also generalizing anxiety most of my life that once i got some work around the erp done and and some of that reduced which felt very very distressing and it came down and so that was undeniably useful right the erp yes. exercises yes. I also was like, maybe this is as good as it gets. It was better than it was. But I mean, I've always had some anxiety. So, I mean, what's realistic? Should I think that I would be able to live without feeling or having some of these different experiences? And it's not that we're not going to ever experience anxiety. I'm not trying to paint that picture. And that's an unrealistic goal for therapy anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're human beings. If you're not feeling anxiety at all, I am. I'm a little worried for you because there are certain things and that I'm should make broad. you feel anxious, right? Like somebody runs a light and broadsides
1: you. We're not gonna
0: be like, "That's okay." They needed that. I mean, we're we're gonna be like,
1: uh, uh, and then, uh. so you know, Nicole, I was anxious to show up to talk to you this morning. Yeah, that's normal. That's okay. Yeah, that's never been my goal to not feel anxious. It's just like, all right, feeling anxious, gonna go do the damn thing anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I I
0: think that's such a great point because the goal isn't to neutralize. (laughs) When we do, we go, oh, maybe my OCD's goal is like, but it's not neutralized. But I think I had a harder time recognizing that what's going to be realistic for me. Could it be better than this? And so I was happy, you know, quote unquote, happy with 60 percent or however much Percent ERP did for me. For you is 60%. But you were like, hey, I'm not buying all the shit of what kind of goes into this, but I see that it's been useful. So where did that lead you in your journey? You're already you're like superstar
1: going down. Yay, research. Look how she reduced in this number of sessions. Yeah, and I did. So, so kudos to ERP. And kudos to my wonderful, lovely therapist who stuck with me all the way, all the way. Right. She's always in my corner, cheerleading me, telling me, like, you can do it. It's OK. Don't worry. You know, it's, it's fine. So I'm doing better at this point. I'm, I'm like, all right, cool. Like, I'm functioning. Yeah, sweet. And she pointed me in the direction of, well, oh, you know what? There's a Facebook group for OCD therapists with lived experience. Why don't you go hop in there? And I was like, neat. And she's like, oh, and by the way, since you're going to be starting a private practice, here is another Facebook group of OCD professionals that you you might find really really helpful. Yeah. Oh, I feel legit now, right? Like I'm in a club. Yeah. So I joined those right. So I joined those two groups, and I I'm in my little WhatsApp chat with my fellow lived experience double threats, right? Because we're all therapists and we have OCDs. So uh-huh. Like we really know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we really know, Nicole. You and I are double threats. Uh, I like being a double threat, double agent, Nicole. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, I'm in I'm in this chat. We're talking about our experience. We're talking about our lived experience. We're talking about our treatment experiences. And a lot of us are like, yeah, it kind of got me out of my own head and living my life. But there's still kind of this other stuff that's, that's kind of lingering around. And at the same time, I'm in a consult group with Mike Hetty, who you've also had in the show, who's been a wonderful mentor. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about this thing. And he's like, there's this other treatment for OCD called inference-based. At the time, it was just inference-based approach or inference-based therapy before there was a rebrand for the Americans, now inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy, because insurance loves CBT. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I'm like, he's talking about it. And I've got one notepad open for me, for my clients and for my practice. And then I've got another little notepad secret side for me. Double agent. And I'm like, yeah, double agent, right? And I'm like, whoa. What did you just say? Can you say that again? Because this is totally making sense to me. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he said that I like bolded, underlined, asterisks was, in OCD, possibilities that are imagined are treated as more important than realities that are known. And I was like, holy shit, that's so right. What is it, What is this that he's talking about? And another thing that he said was, it's like going into your house and seeing no smoke smelling no smoke and seeing no fire and then going, what if my house is on fire and I just don't see it and I don't smell it now? Oh, my God, that's exactly what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. I have to learn this yesterday. <laughs> the urgency. <Whoa>. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I think be, I think that at the same time, I don't because I don't remember who brought it to the WhatsApp chat where we're all like trying to learn something else. I don't know. I don't remember We're going to need like an archaeologist to like go find this chat and like dig up who said it first, because I truly don't remember who. Maybe it was just like this convergence thing. We all woke up at the same time and we were like, yo, what is this thing? Uh But we started talking about it and talking about seeing OCD from this very different perspective. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: for a lot of us, it was like, yep, that's it. I get it. This is the thing. This is so different. And this makes so much more sense then the way that looking through it from this other model mm-hmm. makes sense. This, mm-hmm. makes, this makes a more visceral sense to me as somebody with lived experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's very, very interesting because, and it's often credited, and I would absolutely agree with this in terms of the emergence of inference-based CBT in the U.S., that folks double agents with lived experience already doing ERP or or have experienced ERP too, having this experience with the ICBT and going, this message needs to get out here. Yeah. And so it it's interesting because ICBT has a wealth of research behind it, but it's it's been on the periphery here in the US. The gold standard has long been considered exposure and response prevention. And you and I are both mentioning that, it's, that we've done ERP, we've facilitated yep. ERP for clients. I've done psychoed on ERP. When I started this podcast, I was fully just in ERP, augmenting with ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy, really that value driven therapy, mindfulness, some other things, also supportive of medication support. But in the US, A lot of the universities, a lot of the research institutes, a lot of the trials have been on ERP. And I understand enough of the academic world. I have a a brother-in-law who's a pediatric hematologist and oncologist. Like when you go to grad school, you basically are joining the research that your mentors or advisors or chairs, department chairs are already doing. And so you launch in, you get accepted into a program, and you're matched based on how you fit within the grooves of the academic work already happening. And so when going into any kind of OCD research here in the States, unless you're in Utah and like, again, getting to do ACT a little bit more exclusively because that is kind of the mecca for ACT you're mostly doing ERP. And so coming in, it's not there's not really an opportunity within the United States to just go ahead and dive into research on something like inference-based CBT. But inference-based CBT has been around for many decades at this point and has been doing independent research worldwide. And it is more common outside of the U.S. And so if you were in the U.S., which I am, you are, we were learning, we were trained here, we are going to get exposed to exposure and response prevention. Yep. And so in terms of learning about ICBT, it was probably pretty challenging. Like, had you not been in Mike Huddy's consult group, he works with Carl Robbins, who I, he's going to come on the show as well. And he is is really purported as someone who really was instrumental in bringing ICBT to the States. And he and Mike yeah. worked together and they were able to talk and and dive into the research and do a lot of work around that. But other than that, like this ICBT really came into the U.S. treatment scene at a grassroots level. And you were a part it's, of that grassroots level because not yeah, only yeah. were you in that group, but you recognized this fits. This yep. fits. So the lived experience crew and the consultation group were talking about this a bit more. So how did you go about getting trained in ICBT? Because again, training wasn't happening here in the States and we were still in the pandemic. So I'd love to hear more about that.
1: So yeah, the, the training didn't exist here. There wasn't anything. There was nothing on demand. Like you can just kind of type in like, oh, ERP on demand. And it's like. There you go. Here it is. Right. It did not exist. So I'm in the consult group. I buy the manual and I'm reading the manual and talking about it with my fellow lived experience people. Mm And we're kind of like a couple of us were people were going through and doing the modules together. And I was just kind of like looking at the worksheets on the website and going, wow, this. Yep. Okay this fits, this fits, this fits. Oh, that's where this is coming from. Oh, that's the mechanism that's hooking me over here. And it was such an amazing, like, again, it was, it was, again, I like to say, like, I'm in a haunted house with my day, and ERP kind of gave me a flashlight and it was like, oh, I could shine my flashlight over here. And it's like, oh, that's just like, oh, that's some dude in a Michael Myers mask. Oh, look over here. And it's just like some a head on springs and Over there, it's just like some weird prop that we got from Spirit Halloween in 2011 on sale. (laughs) Right. And it's like, okay, I can identify all these little parts. And then I had ICBT and it was like I turned on the master switch and I could see everything that was happening. Mm -hmm. I understood everything that was happening Mm -hmm. with my disorder. And it made absolute perfect sense. So I'm going through the modules. I'm listening, you know, they released Fred came and spoke to Mike and Carl's practice. And I'm and I'm listening to that and I'm reading all the articles that that were on the website. And I'm I'm like just I'm I'm saturating myself and I'm trying to learn it because you have to unlearn if you're steeped in one model, which I was, you kind of have to like put that aside and come to this as a beginner's mindset because this is different. This is a really different way of looking at OCD. So different um, yeah. So different. And talking about it with my my lived experience friends and building connections and comparing notes. And this is how I understand this thing and this is how I understand that thing. And oh, oops, I totally had that wrong. And in correcting each other and, and discussing. So it was kind of like we had our own little our own little like support consultation slash training group. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and I really like that analogy of Flipping on the switch, because within inference-based CBT, what you learn is, you learn why you were so absorbed and believed yeah. this to be, like, common sense truth. Like, yes. you didn't question it. It was true. But at the same time, once you learn the trick, once you learn the con, once you see how the magician is doing his his work, then you go, oh, oh, I get it. Right. You know, so it isn't like dismantling thing piece by piece if and when it does arise. Instead, it's like I don't have to I can tell you with any magic trick ever that if I see it and I know it's a magic trick, then I'm not shook. I might be like, that's a really cool illusion. I have no idea how they did that. Some are going to be better than others. Some are going to be real poor. I mean, my my youngest likes to do magic tricks sometimes. She's like, where is the bottle top? And then she's like, closes her hands around it. I'm like, I don't know. Okay, not the most (laughs) complex, but there are some really tricky, complex tricks. And then, but but I never once have been like, but what if it could be true? Because I know, I get it. I get how the magician does his thing. He makes it appear so convincingly real that you wouldn't Mm -hmm. question it. And yet you go, oh. The suspension of dysphorie. Like it has to be a trick, trick, right? Yes, it is a trick. Right. And so that is what OCD is. You start to realize, like, if I see the puppet master behind all of this,
1: then I'm swayed by the puppet master. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's exactly what I felt like I was missing through just doing ERP. Yeah. Was the why and the how. Yeah. Cause I was still getting kind of like blindsided by this other stuff that's coming up. And I'm like, God, am I going to be playing freaking whack a mole forever? I can't do this forever. This sucks. Yeah. So that's what learning ICBT for me was like. It's like I ca- we pulled back the curtain and here's odds, right? Like, whoa. <laughs> and the oh, wizard. There's nothing. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, wow, there's nothing to be done <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah. There's nothing that I need to do, even if a doubt pops up. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I have to do because I understand how this works now.
0: Yeah. You know what? The Wizard of Oz is actually like an amazing analogy for it. I haven't thought of it before, <laughs> but like you're on this whole trip the whole time. You realize it's all nothing. Right. Like in in many ways. But yeah. you believe in it and you're journeying through Indeed. it and you're going through the obstacles. Yeah. I'm I'm jiving yep. with that. I like I, it. it. It feels like, real. Yes, it does. It, it's very real. real. Yeah. I mean, the thing the thing. I don't know how this was for you, but I, I found for me to even in facilitating other people's OCD treatment. And and I saw a lot of really great success. I saw it with ERP, I've definitely seen it with ICBT. I've seen it with people that have consulted with their doctors and gotten their medication support as well. Yep. And I was it was interesting because before I knew ICBT, there were certain themes that I would work on with clients where and and I do it all any ERP therapist will tell you, you know. We, we engage in it and I'm not going to ask you to do anything I wouldn't do. P.S., you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. so I, I would engage in that. But it was even triggering for me sometimes. Or was the client making enough progress or not? And I would get in these spirals around like, is it because I'm not doing ERP right or blah, 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 yeah. blah. And I would yeah. be literally engaging with OCD around their treatment, right? And so yeah. I found that to be a phenomenon. And once I started to understand ICBT again, whew, it was one of those things where I was like, I see the trick here. I see the trick for them. They start to see the trick. We get to cheer together and be like, yeah, because <laughs> like, it's so yes, it's so life changing. To just not have to one off these different, yes, the man in the mask, the spring, the this, the prop. Mm-hmm. It's so life-changing just to be like, it's all shit.
1: It's all shit. And yeah, I'm, it's don't... all bullshit. I made this up. Oops.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> it's not to say that I don't get caught in obsessional sequences still. I still make inferences of doubt. And they've greatly reduced, but it still happens because I still have my brain. But I do catch on pretty quickly. At this point, yeah. I could take weeks, months, years to resolve certain certain thoughts where I just go, Oh, from an ICBT perspective, here's where I've made this inference of doubt. It's not yes. true. Right. I don't have any evidence for it in the here and now. But it reads because I would be the person that would suspect this could be the issue based on my fear yeah, of possible and- self. So yeah, it, it it's pretty interesting. And I wonder, did you find similarly, when you were starting in private practice, starting to do OCD treatment, that it could trigger you in different ways than when you started doing ICBT. Oh, Girl,
1: you have any idea how hard it was for me to do notes? Because every time I hit submit, I was like, what if, right? It's, Ooh, it's true, go. the government now have built it. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> what Just if kidding. I did that wrong? Yeah. And I'm going to get, and then I get audited. And uh, blah, 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 lose my practice, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's like, yes, it had a whole new level of bullshit that I had to deal with. Because guess what? I'm culpable now. I am. I am liable now. There's nobody above me where I can be like, oh, my supervisor did it. <laughs> right. Right. It's me. It's all coming down on me. Your lessons. Um, and that's always been like my thing. Right. It's like the world's going to end and it's going to be my fault because I thought about reality too hard. I'm the one person who stepped on a crack, and now my mom's back is broken. Oh, I threw out a little chapstick that she gave me, and somehow she's going to know, and it's going to hurt her feelings, and she's going to right. It all comes down to like I'm responsible for everything, mm-hmm. and so if you give me, put me in a situation where I am actually responsible for everything, the <laughs> Maya Zini is going to go. Oh, you're going to have a bad time, Katie. Yeah, it's
0: like level up, Katie. Level up. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's
0: interesting. One of the things I remember right before I I really started learning about ICBT, I was gonna have Mike Eddie on and I was in a, a book club with Angie McDaniel and she had told me that she was meeting with Mike for consultation and she had introduced the idea of ICBT. And I remember, Angie, if you're listening, we should go back and have a chat about this and debrief because it's kind of funny looking back at it now. But We got together for a book club on Zoom, and she was like, hey, so have you heard of ICBT? I had heard chatterings about ICBT, and the chatterings were not inviting me to want to know more in in, in terms of the peripheral, uh, I don't know, way that people were conceptualizing ICBT. But I respect Angie. She's bright. She's a wonderful clinician. And so she was telling me, well... You know, I think there might be something to it. And so she was trying to explain it to me. And I can't even think of it's like so foreign to me now how I was conceptualizing it at the time. But at the time I was thinking, it sounds like glorified rumination that we are Mm -hmm. that we're like positively reinforcing how behavioral can I sound? And so in terms of like this, this all sounds wackado, but she was like, hey, you know, maybe we should read the book as our next book and book club, the manual and this and that. And have you heard of Mike Hetty? You might want to reach out to him, blah, blah, blah. So I reached out to Mike and said, would you be willing to come have a conversation with me about ICBT? I'm open to it. I don't know what it is. So I can't criticize it. But also I know that there's a lot of feelings swirling about about this. So could you explain it to me? And in my researching for it, I, I watched, I think it was an OCD whisperer podcast with Christina Orlova and maybe Catherine Goldhouse, where I was trying to track it. And I'm like, this this all doesn't make sense to me still, right? But I bought the manual and I was like, I'm going to give it a, a try. At the time, I remember I was doing treatment with a client that had some scrupulous OCD around their religious practice and their faith. And I had facilitated an erp exercise that they had a very big reaction to like this is heretical and and they were hissed at me and hindsight was it a value-based erp exercise it probably could have been more considerate in terms of the value base but it also wasn't as bad as (laughs) My brain was taking in the feedback as, mm-hmm. and the client had a very, very big reaction. And I think this spoke more to their struggle with the scrupulous OCD than it did with their actual faith. But I had such a hard time with that for weeks. I remember I was, I was painting up some kind of like furniture and stuff for my son's room, and I was just sitting there going like, maybe I did do something heretical. Maybe I did make a mistake. Maybe this was wrong. I'm doing. I'm trying to counter the barrage in my brain going, you screwed up this ERP and you are an imposter. And I was just like sitting with that. And I could not let it go. And it had been a while since I couldn't let something go. Because ERP had at least unstuck, even if it was only like, you know, a certain percentage better, it had at least unstuck all of the thoughts I had challenged with it. And I was you are peeing the shit out of this to, to perfection because I'm a recovering perfectionist and I, I could not unstick it. And I just would tell myself, OK, well, the point isn't to make this anxiety go away. I'm just going to bathe in it. And I did. I bathed in my own cortisol for weeks on this. yep Went, learned about ICBT, could not tell you why I agreed with it because it was so dense that I was like, what? But went and had this recording with Mike. And I was just sitting there and I was like, "Okay, I don't understand how and why this works, but I feel like this clicks for me and I want to learn more. However, what I did hear him say was about the magician's trick. And without even understanding all the steps that led to understanding the magician's trick, I'm like, is it possible that this is a trick and my brain won't let go of it? It's it's this trick. It's not to say maybe I'm sure I did piss the client off. Right. You know, and I don't like that. But my vulnerable self theme was all about like, what if I miss something and I could have done it better? Yeah. And, uh, what if I neglected it? And so I was like, yeah, that reads. And literally, viscerally, physiologically, all that distress drained from my body. And I was mm-hmm. like, that is different. In a similar way to using ERP the first time where I was like, shit, that, that stuff is, is for real. I had that thought and I'm like, yeah, if it's a trick. Like, I don't know how to sit there and keep exposing myself to the same trick over and over and over. And so I was like, holy shit, that's a game changer. That's yeah. a game changer.
1: It resolved your inferential confusion. It with, did. Within, seconds. You know, within one conversation. Yeah. Within one conversation. And I'm good at talking to myself. I have
0: conversations all day long here. And I a <laughs> conversation and it was like. All the power of that moment was just shut down, powered down. It was like, bam. Like, it just didn't matter anymore. And I thought, I need to know more. I need to learn more. So you ended up learning about ICBT through Mike as well and learning and training. And you were able to be a part of the training Fred facilitated for their practice
1: Oh, I I watched. I just watched a recording on it.
0: Oh, okay. You yeah. watched the recording. And so how did this lead? Because now you are one of the four mothers, let's say, instead of four fathers. You're one of the four oh, mothers. That. So does that work? I worth? love it. You do? Are <laughs> you going to tell your girls? Yeah, and you're going to be like, hey. <laughs> okay. So you're one of the four mothers of ICBT really getting disseminated here in the U.S. And so what led to what was at first the like the collaboration of lived experience or
1: lived experience collective,
0: the lived experience collective. So you formulated the lived experience collective, which is now OCD training school. And can you tell us about how that came about and what it's been like trying to get up and going and facilitating this for people interested in learning more?
1: Yeah. So we listen, we are all like an N equals one experiment with ICBT. And we went this works. A training doesn't exist. We're all social workers. So we're like, oh, we gotta find a need and fill a need, right? And we're like, all right, we need to disseminate this. So Bronwyn Schroyer sent me a message and she goes, Hey, I like you. I trust you. You seem cool. I want to put together a training. Do you want to do it with me for just the first one? Right? Because I don't want to facilitate this by myself. I'm a little scared. Would you co facilitate this with me? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, okay. Well, so well so we did that and we're like all right well we'll have like eight people come to our first one mm-hmm. and so she took you know we 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 kind of like leapfrogged the modules she's like you uh you do the odds i'll do the evens and we'll put this together it'll be a weekly format people will come over a series of like i think we did like eight weeks because we combined some modules that were a little shorter mm-hmm. and uh and we'll do that. And I was like, "Sweet, hey, let's do it. It'll be fun. It'll just be like, we'll just do one. I have a couple extra bucks in my pocket. I make a new friend. What could be better? It'll be really cool. Mm-hmm. And then we had like 24 people express interest and we're like, oh, crap. I think we might need more people. Yeah. Yeah. We think we might need some help here because we were not prepared for this. We have full case loads. Yeah, this is, you know, we need we need some help. And so we had two fully formed groups that we handed off and we recruited some other people. I was like, we need a website. What are we going to call it? These two people over here are also doing trainings. This person over here is doing something. Can we just kind of like put up a website and just have it be like our collective portfolio? Yeah. And this is like the landing page for like our cool little group of friends who are doing all kinds of projects and stuff. Yeah. And that was the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. And over time, some of those people moved on. They fell off. At one point, I was like, people are getting confused because they think they're coming to Bronwyn's training, but they're signing up for over here. And it became kind of like a mess to to keep everything straight. Mm -hmm. So we ended up separating our projects. And some of us went over here and some of us went over there. And so now it's Gina Abundante Bronwyn Schreier and myself running OCD training school. And we just kind of like, I don't know, separated, went our own ways, reorganized, restructured, whatever corporate term you want to use. And that's where we landed and that's where we are now.
0: Nice. And OCD training school, that's the web address too. OCD training.
1: Yes. We wanted it to be snappy and memorable. And our plan eventually is we're going to start with ICBT training because that's what we have. We have that made. Let's make a new website. We'll make a new landing page. We'll make a webinar version. We'll do this out of the other thing. Yeah, so we're going to want to branch out eventually. Why don't we call ourselves the OCD training school? Yeah. Instead of like the ICBT training school, because we want to do so much, but we only have this one product that's ready to go. So why don't we brand ourselves this and eventually we'll come out with some other stuff.
0: Yeah. I love it, too, because it doesn't draw lines. It it says, yes, we're going to be talking about ICBT, but it's all OCD, right? And so the good news, the great news for us family is that this means there's more than one evidence-based treatment. I consider there to be three augmented by a fourth with ACT. But I consider ERP, I consider ICBT, and I consider medication, so pharmacological intervention, to be evidence-based practices. ACT is also evidence-based. Um, but really, I feel like a filter. If we think of like, <laughs> like social media filters or whatnot, ACT is a filter, and a filter. And ACT can be with ICBT, it can be with ERP, it can be with medication delivery as well. And so, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And so in terms of the growth that has occurred since 2020, it's pretty phenomenal. I think even from I'm going to look, actually, I'm curious, as of the date of the recording, I'm going to see how many people we got in this group. We have like it's like it's part mine. No, but I didn't. Yeah, it's grassroots. It is grassroots. Let's see. 2,000. 314 people as of this time of recording. I bet there, I, I know that there will be more by the time this posts because there's more every every day. Every day. And, and moderators accept them in and all of that and, and give a big hello and hi there. And so when I joined, end of December, maybe early January, there were 700.
1: Oh, listen. When I joined, and I think it was <laughs> December 2021, there was like 45.
0: Wow. And I was one of them. Yeah. Wow. Well, because you're one of the foremothers, though. Yes. You were there, though. Yes. I was there. You were there. You were there. But it's interesting because it's like it hasn't even been a year since I've been in there and it's already grown over 300%. Yeah. And that's partly because of the demand going up from clients that are learning, but also from clinicians that are learning and getting some exposure and hearing about the conversation and going, I'm willing to at least learn. I'm, I'm, I'm willing yep. to take that time. And so I think it's really powerful. And I'm hopeful that right now there's even more research. And, and I can't remember the name of the article. i have to look it up. But I know there was an article even out of Eric Storch's lab that was saying we need more evidence-based treatments for OCD. We do. And so I'm hopeful yeah. that we'll continue with that. Because something that was alarming for me, and I would love to kind of hear your thoughts on this, I didn't treat OCD my whole career. I came into treating OCD after encountering a client that had such severe OCD that I couldn't even miss it. Because I just, I had missed it a lot over my career once mm-hmm. I learned. I was like, oh, shit. But hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And so... I learned about it later in my career, but I can tell you from different areas, even within anxiety and depression, for anybody that's ever been to an ADAA conference, that's the Anxiety and Depression Association of America or any other, like, mental health collaboration and training, there are multiple evidence-based practices that work for the treatment of multiple different disorders, which is great because not everybody's going to jive with one or the other. You mm-hmm. might make some progress to some extent and may need to try a different one to make further progress. You may not respond to them. There there are a lot of different possibilities. And so when I came into OCD, it was really interesting because I'm like, there's one. There's one, right? It's, it's ERP. Yeah. There's one. And the answer is there wasn't one. But we were kind of in our own bubble. <laughs> no pun intended. Yep. Here in the U.S., and and ERP is one. This so yeah. absolutely it is one. So is ICBT. ICBT is one. Mm-hmm. And and so this has been a really important learning. And I I went through this whole spiral even with the podcast because when I started it I had the intrusive thoughts segment and then I was like well there's not intrusive thoughts in ICBT and am I living a lie and blah, blah, blah. and then I was like shut up uh, Nicole like calm woman I was I was just like totally like ah uh, who cares I it doesn't have to be it, it's it's the function who cares what we call it I don't need to just change it and overcorrect it and blah 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 I can embrace that but also like realizing like that's a mind trick I don't have to engage in fact I think it's kind of funny now like I have people like Fred on I have yourself I have uh, folks that are disseminators of ICBT and I'm like that's right so when we wrap up we're going to go into an intrusive thought segment that's my application segment and I enjoy that I enjoy the <laughs> irony but yeah I mean it, it, it's been a journey in, in that learning process and I'm hopeful because we, what I do think and I will say to give credit to all sides here because uh, I don't want it to be about taking sides No, I think our profession is cautious Mm-hmm. And very caring because there, yes. are, there are certainly different treatment models, evidence-based or not, sometimes evidence-based for other conditions, that mm-hmm. folks will go out and say, hey, I treat OCD and I can use this. And where we have the insight of knowing, actually, that's going to perpetuate. That's going to fan the flame of OCD, like talk therapy. Yeah. like yes. Yes. Like even certain forms of CBT, right? And so I mm-hmm. do think we're all very protective of you got to do the right kind of treatment. But I think that's also then been the double-edged sword in ICBT breaking through the mold. And so when I say I'm excited and hopeful about more evidence-based practices coming out, yes, but also they have to lay a foundation of empirical evidence and they have to test Absolutely. and try that. And that takes time. So maybe there is something going on that we're not on the periphery of, perhaps here in the States, but probably even internationally. And we'll get to hear more about that. But ICBT isn't this just brand new huh, idea. It's this well-researched model. And it also provides us a mechanism for understanding why OCD does the shit it does. And that, for me, was yes. just yeah. I needed that. I needed that.
1: Me too. Me too. And I think you're absolutely right that the, that the ire of the, you know, not everybody, but but I think in the beginning, especially when ICBT was kind of like hitting the scene, you know, a year or two ago, the community at large was like, we've seen this before. Yeah. How many people have we seen harmed by the wrong treatments? And we've seen, oh, yes, this is evidence-based for this, blah, 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 blah. And it's not. And so I think that the community at large, maybe you're right. It's like it's protective, right? We want to close the gates on things that are going to harm our clients any further. Yeah. We want to close the gates on anything that's going to come in and, and muddy the waters any further because this is a very complex disorder and people can be harmed by the wrong treatment. And we do not, as professionals, want that. Right. We don't want that. Right. And so I think you're right that... That this kind of like protective urge to close the door on anything new mm-hmm. was exactly that was like, I'm not going, we don't want to harm our clients any further. We don't want to harm anybody with OCD any further than they've already been harmed by the wrong treatment. And by professionals saying, I can treat your OCD with hypnosis and try the celery juice and oh, have you tried crystals and blah, 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 blah. We don't want that.
0: and yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Oh, goodness. No, please no. Oh, well, let me do some EMDR for your OCD. No, mm-hmm. um, not evidence based. Evidence so, based for yeah. trauma, but not for OCD. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you for the correction. The NPR <laughs> folks yeah. have big feels too. Bronwyn <laughs> Schroyer, I know that you just went, oh, Katie, <laughs> we fixed it. We we ended because it's. Mm-hmm.
0: It's not evidence-based for OCD, but it is right. evidence-based, which is where we got to look and, and, and same with CBT. A lot of evidence base for CBT, but certain types of CBT, I mean, honestly, ERP yeah. and ICBT are both versions of CBT and they could not be more different. So it just right. goes to show that CBT at large, which has a lot of things under its umbrella, isn't always going to be helpful. In fact, can can actually be harmful Truly. to the treatment.
1: I, yeah. Right. Right. And so I think we're at like this really cool, really exciting time to be in the field where we are starting to maybe soften a little bit towards things that are coming in that are very different from what we know, but that are coming in with 20 years of research behind them. Yeah. And I think it is so cool for us to be at that point in our careers and in this field where we're kind of getting a little bit more flexible about what might work. Again, yeah. it's evidence based. Right. Right. I think it's really cool to be having these discussions.
0: Yeah. One more point that, you know, I, I started to think of, too, is we were talking about closing the gates to try and keep out therapies or practices that could do harm. I think the yeah. flip side of that is sometimes we close the gate on things that also could help. Right. And so that gate, the well intention, it's like all a big parallel process for OCD at large. Right. But it's like. But it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like that effort coming out of the best of intentions. And I do believe that overall can also filter out some things like understanding inferential confusion and ICBT where there is research and there are independent groups coming up with the same conclusions going, yep, this works. And there is, I think, I don't know if it's published yet. You might know the trial where even ICBT and ERP are compared and both yes both are effective. One is not, not the trial. Yes. Yep. One is not more significantly impactful than the other. Both are good. And that's mm-hmm. good news for us in the O C D community.
1: Yes, it is. I I have just loved this, Katie. This has been so fantastic. <laughs> This is cool. This is really cool. What else that I just I want to end on that I think is so cool and and, you know, clients and families might not be aware of this, but maybe as clinicians, we're more aware of this, is that we as a field are having some really interesting conversations right now about the treatment of OCD. And it's becoming we're becoming a little bit more. I don't even know what word I want to use. It very much used to be like ERP versus ICBT, I felt, right? Like that it was very tribalistic. And it yeah. was like, you're on this side or you're on that side. Yeah. And we're starting to not be like that anymore. Yeah. We're starting to go, maybe there's something here. Maybe we can offer more than one. Maybe we can do a little bit of this over here and a little bit of a sprinkle of this over here. Because at the end of the day, every OCD specialist is trying to treat OCD. Yeah. We want people with OCD to get as close to not having OCD as possible. We have that common goal. And so I think it is so absolutely cool that now we have multiple options to do that. Yeah. Like like other disorders have, right? Right. Right. so cool. You know, this might be
0: a weird analogy. My brain thinks in analogies. And as you were talking about the two coming together, I was like, yeah, it's like we're folding in the ICBT and folding in the European, it made me think of Shits Creek. Have you seen Shits Creek? Just
1: fold it in. You just, you just, just, David, you just fold it in. We just fold it in. Well, uh, can you tell me how to do this one thing? I, I love, love it. it. Just I, fold it in. I
0: love it. I saw a TikTok. I'm going to have to search. I, I should have saved this because it's like, I love it. I love Shits Creek anyway. But uh, I saw a TikTok. It was Halloween, like blow up characters. Yep. Have you seen it? Seen it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to link it on this episode's blog along with all the great information on where you can find Katie, how you can find oh. her her new website, and how you can also check out OCD Training school. Also, I will uh, put links to icbt.online and the IOCDF since we've been also talking about, uh, you know, ERP and the article that was able to kind of help bring you into the
1: recognition of OCD. Uh, the article that started resolving my inferential confusion. There's... I swear to god, the minute I read that headline I was like, the scales have fallen from my eyes. I'm not going to lie to you, Nicole. After I read that article, I, it was like my sexual orientation OCD was like 80% better because I knew that there was nothing there for me to figure out anymore. I love I was that. Like, oh, it's the disorder. Yeah. 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 That's what it was like for me, too. And ICBT
0: when I was I'm, there, I am painting my my kid's armoire. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, it just it's not it's not it's not a thing. And it's not to say that you can't have questions, you can't, but it's also to say when it comes to OCD, whether you have answers or not, it's never going to satisfy OCD. But if you know that it's a trick, then you don't have to bow yourself to OCD trying to prove it one way or the other. You know, if you want to stop and see a magic trick, you'll choose to do it. But you're not going to get all like, oh, up in it. You're not going to be shook by all of that. So I I love that. (laughs) Let me ask you this, Katie. Do you guys have any upcoming trainings?
1: Yeah. So through OCD Training School, we have two inference-based CBT trainings coming up. We have one. It's a two-day intensive, right? So it's four hours per day. We have one coming on January 18th and 19th. It's a Thursday and a Friday. It starts at 12 o'clock Eastern. Okay. And then we have another one, February 22nd and 23rd. Again, it's Thursday and a Friday. Also starts at 12 o'clock Eastern. And you can sign up at OCDTrainingSchool.com.
0: I love it. And I have done this training, so I can personally say it. it was super helpful because if you have bought the manual and you're reading it, first of all, it's dense and it's translated. So sometimes you're like, what? You reread it. Not not because of OCD. You reread it because you're like, am I what? And so being able to do that and, and going through your two day training was amazing. Also, for those that live internationally, particularly for those that that's the middle of the night, you had mentioned before that you have online recorded trainings to like a self-study training. It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. Okay, exactly the
1: same. Do the live one for people who are like, I know that I am not. I'm going to buy this and it's going to sit over here and I'm not going to do it. I need accountability. So I need to sign up for this and show up but it's exactly the same material across ball. Yeah.
0: Thank you for sharing about that. So again, I'm going to have that linked on this episode's blog and check it out because I think, you know, this is such a really well done, really dense. It's a lot still to take in, but really mm. well done training. And I I got a lot out of it. So I, I would highly recommend that. Thank you.
1: That. Yeah.
0: So I'm gonna link all the good, all the goodies on where you can find Katie and all the great work that she's doing. If you're a part of the ICBT group or have done any of the ICB trainings through She and Brownwin, then you know how fantastic she is at teaching this, and it's it's just been so helpful for so many people, myself included. And so thanks for all you do, Katie, and thank you so much for taking the time. This was this was fantastic,
1: Nicole. Listen, my whole journey has been. I go through something, I figure it out, and then I try to bring relief to other people in any way that I can. That's why I became an OCD specialist. So when you have me on your show, you, you, you do me a favor, right? You give me a gift because now I get to kind of fulfill my calling to do that. So thank you.
0: Oh. Well, that is just like a warm hug in word form. I love it. Thank you. And thank you, too, because I i mean, honestly, I've, I've been similar, whether it's me dealing with it or I read the room and can tell other people are having a reaction, even if it's not my personal thing. I've always been a person to be like, I wonder if this is working for us. Let's have a conversation about it. And so yeah. OCD was very, very much like that, a, a process for me, too. So this is a gift for us as well. And I just thank you for taking the time. Y'all don't know, but before Katie and I started recording, I was like turning her into a, a reverbed robot. And so she has <laughs> she has emerged a foremother. No, she fully human. She is fully uh, human intact. And it's wonderful. So thanks again, Katie. Thanks for your patience. And uh, uh, hope, thank you. Double threats. Double threats. Threats Signing off. Double threats. Yes. Double threats. Signing off. Yes. I like it. (laughs) Thank you for that. Okay, folks. So another huge big thanks to Katie for sharing your journey so authentically with the fam here, and for the amazing work you and your fellow four mothers have done in bringing inference-based CBT to the U.S. community. Not only have you moved us with the power of your story. But you've helped so many, myself included, in unsticking ourselves from our own narratives. And we're just incredibly grateful for you turning on that light, exposing that this brick road and these obstacles in the land of imagination are just that. Imagined.
1: Are they scary? Yes. Distressing? Can't be. But real? No. No. Relevant? No.
0: So as I wrap up today in our intrusive thought segment, which is my application segment of the show for any of our newer fam that's joining us, I want us to think about our stories. Truth be told, and speaking of stories, I read this week about Britney Spears' story in her recently released memoir, and I'm not ashamed to say, y'all, that it dropped on Tuesday, and I finished reading it on Tuesday. That's right. Just knocked it out. And before anyone goffs or thinks, Brittany, are we really talking about Brittany here? Mm, Yeah. (laughs) We sure are. And there's no shame, because all of us matter, fam. Every person's story matters. You matter, I matter, our foremothers matter, Brittany Brittany matters, everyone. And (laughs) what was hard and yet so important about taking the time to hear Britney's story, to read it, or even when we take the time to write our own stories, your story, it's so important. Because sometimes it is painful. And for Brittany, her reality was painful. It's no yellow brick road, I can assure you of that. It's hard and tragic, sometimes exhilarating and exciting, often traumatizing and shaming. But it's her story. It's her here and now that she has lived, and she is finally able to speak her truth. And so today, I want to challenge you to lean into the reality of your journey. Are you stuck or absorbed on your loved one's yellow brick road? Are you here in the present? Are you on that bridge between imagination and reality going, Oh, wait a minute, where are you? Where's your loved one? And I wanna challenge you all to lean into your story based on the here and now, today, this week. In ICBT, we do this thing where we practice creating alternate stories and they're not meant to replace or compete against our imaginal or obsessional tales, no. I mean, there is no competing with the Wizard of Oz, right? But we are interested in telling alternative stories based on our sensory evidence, based on our common sense, based on our reality in this moment. So I'm going to give you an example of my alternate story about today, and I want to challenge you to try it this week too. So here's my story. I woke up early today, a little groggy, but two excited children and the biggest hug from my birthday girl. I walked downstairs to find a tepid mess of perfection. And you know what? Turns out it was better than perfect. So there's my story, fam. What's yours? Thank you for joining me and our OCD family community. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like and subscribe to the OCD family podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Did you find this content helpful? Please consider leaving a review. The more people that know they're not alone... For more information regarding today's podcast, please visit OCDFamilyPodcast.com and remember to join the email list while you're there. It will provide you with the most up-to-date information, resources, and the demo on the family chatter. Oh yeah, nothing says family like trying to bear it with Katie Merritt. That's right. I went there and you can too at OCDFamilyPodcast.